But the reality is, the logical conclusion is that you have, we all have to work together, that you can plunder mankind for so long before you're plundering yourself. The people that are in charge that have been plundering are going to reach that threshold. If not now, in the tomorrow, you know, the, next week, next year, next century. But there's going to be a certain point where you have to quit plundering. You have to start educating people and you have to let the truth out. So that because it, we, we actually need all of us on the same wavelength, on the same frequency for us to advance. And they and they're they're going to get passed by by neighboring species that will help out all their people. So as a matter of, so it's it's a logical decision to enslave and to plunder and to be the the banks and charge interest and do all this, you know what I mean? Like it's a logical thing, but at a certain point it's going to be logical to stop it, the madness and actually start educating everybody. And I think we're getting to that. I think it's a tipping point that we are in. We really we really run a very fantastic risk of enlightening ourselves very soon. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. As always, so great to be with you all. Well, we're going out there again today, flying around the cosmos into time travel and seemingly impossible things. And we're going to ask why all this stuff is going on with Tony Rodriguez. Welcome to the show, Tony. Hi, Karen. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Hello. Hi, everybody. <laughs> And please remember, if you're liking the shows, to subscribe and hit that bell button and leave us a comment and all that stuff I say at the beginning of all the shows. I know it's all very dull and boring, but you know it helps. As I've said to you before, people that have watched the show, we're on a few different platforms these days, not just your average platforms like YouTube. We've been flying around the universe on Rumble and BitChute and Odyssey and I'm loving Odyssey, actually, which is a blockchain platform and uh, spreading the message on all these different video platforms, as well as around 40 audio platforms. Let me tell you a little bit about Tony. I suspect that many of you who are watching have seen Tony. You've been, you said at the beginning of the year on somebody else's show, Tony, that you would had done at least 200 shows by then. Oh, yeah, I'm up over 300 probably interviews now. It's been going on seven years since I went public with my story and I, I do interviews almost pretty much every week. Yeah, I know. And you work, you work full time. He was just telling me he just got home from work. So you work full time. So you do this in your spare time. I don't know how you do it, but uh, let me tell you about it. Tony, a self-proclaimed normal guy living in a small town in the United States with his family, two dogs and a cat. In May 2015, Tony Rodriguez had a major memory recall which impacted his life in confusing and profound ways. He remembered being taken as a child of around 10 for a 20-year tour to work in a secret space program. His story is confronting seemingly impossible and beyond logic for the common person to comprehend from a mainstream reality point of view. How could someone be kidnapped, 
live in their body for 20 years, then return to the point of the kidnapping at the same age and at the same time they were taken. Once unheard of, a 20-year tour or program, often partially served in outer space, has now become a phenomenon that more and more people claim to have experienced. Few have the depth of memory and detail as Tony. Tony is the author of an autobiographical book called Series Colony Cavalier, an account of what is being hidden from us and just how far they have gone without us. Deep in our souls, we know the truth is stranger than fiction. We also know there has to be more to life than the sanitized get up and go to work routine we've all been offered. Within the pages of Tony's book is a glimpse into a reality beyond our wildest imagination. Tony is also the co-creator of Talks with Tony, support groups and courses for people who feel they have had similar experiences. Wow. Well, let's get into what happened in 2015 to bring back the memories. Did anything specifically happen? There were a, there were a, a few events. It was um, the end of April. I went for my checkup to the doctor and I started complaining about having headaches and I, you know, back then I was working an office job, so I was in front of a computer quite a bit. And I started having dull headaches in the back of my head. And my doctor said, look, this is your checkup. Let's just be safe and have an MRI scan. And so I went for an MRI scan. And about it was about 10 days later. I also coincidentally stumbled across the Randy Kramer um, interview. And he explained the phenomenon. So I had always had... Uh, several fragmented memories of not only be the, the original abduction, the first 15 to 30 minutes so of the abduction, I, those memories were never really got erased. So I always had memories of being abducted by ETs and I never could make sense of them. So it's not enough to talk about. And I was that kid. Um, I was that kid at the party in my twenties saying I got abducted and, you know, nobody believed but I always knew that that happened. So I always kind of researched. I always had my eye on ufology and none of it really made sense until I came across the Randy Kramer information. And then he said that they take people for 20 years and then through age regression, put them back in the same night that they're taken. And I went, wait a minute. Oh, no. And I went, oh, my God, then that means that happened. And I had all these other memories that were, you know, I re I had the memories, but I I couldn't explain the time frame. So I just thought they were dreams or some other thing, you know, some other um reason that caused them and when i did that i uh, all the memory it just started flooding back and they all the dots began to connect and over the course of the next three days to six weeks i got the bulk of the memories back the bulk of the um basically the substance of my book series colony cavalier uh after the fact later on uh somebody you know i started working with researchers and they said you know michael ralph of the mars records i think it was in the early 90s when his account came out and it was the same thing that he had an MRI scan done. And I went, wait a minute, I had an MRI scan too. And when I went back, I looked up my medical records and it was sure enough, it was about 10 days before the memory recall. So there may have been, there may have been several causes to my memory coming back, not just one. And so I always mention it. I don't know if the MRI did it or not, but I always mention it because other people have had the same experience and they could, and I, uh, was very surprised to learn how many people have also described the same phenomenon. It seems to be something that is very widespread, very widespread phenomenon. And since then, since I've gone public, literally thousands of people have reached out to me 
saying the same thing. I saw your interview and I think I went through the same thing. What do I do? And so I work with people quite a bit for that uh, one or two a week, probably, um, where I just kind of sit and kind of make sense of what they remember, because it's very hard to uncover fragmented memories that are fantastic in nature and make sense of it. Most people don't have 100 percent recall and uh, including myself. You know, as I'm listening to you, uh, I was thinking about this this morning. I had this real sense that, you know, when we think about other planets and other civilizations and life that happens on other planets, it's sort of happening over there in a different planet, in a different time space reality. And I was thinking about your story and this story. And even though that you were working with ETs and humans, there's a whole human population colony planet that is living outside of the Earth's reality that's operating outside of our time-space reality. It's just like ETs living on another planet. It's all happening sort of somewhere. And you were taken into that reality. What I want to know is why do you think they would take someone who's incarnated into this Earth time timeline and not someone that was like born, you know, on Mars or a human kid born on the moon? Or why do you think they take the consciousness of... So, uh, you know, I get a lot of different questions that may be that may lead to a a correct answer for that, because if I'm going to be if I'm going to be brutally honest, the truth is, I don't know, Karen, there's a lot I you know, I, I witnessed it, but that doesn't mean I understand why it works. So, you know, just to be honest with you, but the the reality is, is that, you know, I I vaguely did the math, and I'm going to butcher these numbers, but I vaguely did the math. it was a four man crew. And when I say four-man crew, I mean greys and a reptilian. Four-man crew that took me, and they probably worked on me for a total of four hours. So four-man crew for two people a day. And when you when you scale it up, they can easily have 4,000 people doing uh, 200, 2,000 people, whatever, 200 people a day or 1,000 a day. You know, like I said, I'm butchering the numbers because I'm on the fly here. But when I scale up and do the math, it doesn't take long to understand that they could take millions of people. That they, that they could flood their colonies. And not only in our own solar system, there's 200 bodies, 218 bodies, I think 220 total in the solar system of, of rocks floating around the sun. And they have colonies or a tin can on, around most of them. So they could flood those with cheap labor, easy free labor, let's call it that. And then not only that, but the neighboring star systems. And in in, in fact, what I remember this, the the system that I remember of trade, because I worked on ships, I, I was eventually a cargo engineer, and we were trading with other species, and we were we were going to five, six different planets and different star systems a day. We were, in fact, going to other galaxies and coming home the same day. We never lived on the ship or anything. We left. We had the ship was uh, didn't have beds on it for that. We were just there. We would leave and come back on the same day. That's how accessible space was. And if you really scale up the phenomenon of ufology, that's really why it doesn't make sense because we're also being interact. We're not being interacted with by just a few species or 900 or a thousand. We're being interacted with by trillions of species at different levels of advanced, uh, morality and different levels of technology so it looks like gibberish to a researcher when you compare one instance to another some of them are very spiritual in nature and some of them are very selfish in nature and people that are in fact less advanced they just have access to space travel and so that's the reality of 
ufology and that's why it doesn't make sense to people that are just glanced by and research even professional researchers are kind of at a loss because space we we're trained we're lied to we're, we're programmed to believe that space is far away even if we get into space it would still take you you know with when you talk about star trek and star wars it would still take you for two years and years and years to get to the other to the nearest the other side of the galaxy that's that's how they portray it so everybody believes that but the reality is is that we were going instantaneously to the other galaxy and in fact uh to the other side of the galaxy and in fact to other galaxies and then instantaneously back home so uh sorry i don't know if that answered the original question but the other thing that um point that people along those lines that point say why do they take why not just people that are born there well i was slave labor for one and they're using con there's several different uh very advanced technologies involved like taking consciousness and powering driving a clone so cloning has been banned immediately so we know we know almost nothing about what happens when a human is cloned because they immediately banned it and classified it uh the reality is is that you it splits your consciousness as well so you have a value of awareness in your body and when they clone you it gets halved and your consciousness must drive the other body um uh, and again, I'm extrapolating this. I'm not. I'm not a, an authority on it at all. This is just what I witnessed and what I believe I experienced. Um, but the other thing is that people go, "Why? Well, why do they need people? Why not just robots?" And the the answer to that is that we are actually the most talented, the most brilliant, and the most uh, versatile machine you could possibly have. And we're very ener energy efficient. The reality is is that last year you used the same amount of electricity. You did, and I and I know you had a productive year, and who doesn't? And everything you did in the entire year was the same amount of electricity that powers a 500-watt light bulb in 24 hours. So you're, we are very energy efficient. We are very programmable. We are very talented. And, like, and I've said this before, is that if you leave us alone somewhere and you come back years later, there'll be more of us. So we are far more advanced than any machine could ever be. A machine must be programmed to do one task at a time and then be reprogrammed and break down and have maintenance. We, we are self-healing, self-teaching, self-programming, um, very, very cheap labor, very, very talented labor. So I believe that's the, that's the driver behind the system. And in order to maintain that system for other species and for our own shadow governments that exist in the world, in order to maintain that, we have the lie perpetuated and now they're even talking about the flat earth lie to make people even think less of space but now we have the lies that there is no life out there that just don't just go back to work just you know look over here don't look up there don't look up look over here and so that's why because they're perpetuating a, a, a quadrillion dollar industry not a trillion dollar industry but a quadrillion quintillion dollar industry yeah sorry i hope that answers your question sorry i was wordy it does it does don't look up yeah don't look up look at the Kardashians backside yeah don't look up yeah I know um yeah. I, I want to get into your story but I've still got some questions why do you think you remembered and didn't you know like other people you said millions of people are taken and millions of people aren't remembering why do you think you remembered what happened so again I think there was a perfect storm in my case in the beginning I was used for experimental programs for I I was not groomed. A lot of people that are taken into the program are taken at a young age and trained repeatedly and groomed for whatever their position is, be it a scientist or a soldier or an engineer, whatever it is. People are genetically spotted um, at a very young age and then taken and groomed and put back. We seem that seems to be a common threat, common phenomenon. 
I wasn't. I was taken. I was thrown into the program as a form of punishment because somebody didn't like me. So it was, I was somebody that wasn't meant to be there. I was just in the kind of the wrong place at the wrong time. So I was originally in an experimental program that dealt with remote viewing and like a like an industrial grade psychic um, forced psychic ability. I wasn't a psychic kid. They put me through a trauma based mind control program, and then I it like they forced uh, psychic ability on me. And there were a, a dozen, about a dozen kids or so. And that was my first stop for the first two years until I lost the ability right around puberty. So they, and somebody else told me, a good friend of mine in um, Australia, a very gifted person said, you know, they opened doors in you that probably shouldn't have been opened. So there was that, there, there are many different um, possible reasons for why I would, I wanted my, to remember. That was the other thing is I was madly in love at the very end when they put me back on my trip back from the series planetoid, which is in, so series in case anybody doesn't know is in between Mars and the asteroid belt. It's a dwarf planet. And that's where I lived inside of it. So there's no atmosphere, but we had, there was, there was a colony inside of it, about a quarter million people the breakaway Germans from after world war II. Um, on my way back to the moon for the return, when they were putting me back, I paced back and forth. I'm not going to forget. I'm not going to forget. I'm not going to forget. I wanted to remember I was madly in love with somebody and I did not want to forget what I had done because I had gone from being a tortured, a very abused slave child and grown up into a position where I was on the cusp of freedom. And then not only that, but fell, fell in love and began to have relationships and kind of, I had, I, I spawned an inner identity. And for me, that was a huge achievement. So that, you know, the distance, um, you know, the distance from somebody becoming a millionaire to a billionaire is great. So they're very proud of that achievement. So I was a slave and I was somebody that got a little bit of freedom. So for me, that I was proud of that achievement and I didn't want to forget it. And I, like I said, I was madly in love with somebody. I didn't want to forget her. And so that was, I think my personal, my inner motivation but it's turned out that there's all these, as as time goes on, details keep coming up from other people, the researchers, and from things that I remember that also check out that I just didn't have access to. And as time goes on, there are many, many other supporting reasons why I might remember, might be the have remembered. It seems that a lot of people remember, a lot of people, but it, they come in fragments. So there's it's hard to connect the dots. They don't have, they don't, a lot of people don't have a linear story because they remember they were here. And then they remember they were over here, but they don't know how they got from one or the other. So it's hard to, for them to explain and get in front of a camera and then tell the story. So I just got a greater amount of recall back, put it in a timeline, and I remembered my stops throughout the time. So it's easier for me to tell my story than others. But by all means, I am not unique in this. There are literally thousands, tens of thousands of people out there that say the same thing. And a lot of people, I have spoken with people that have a great deal of memory, and they're like, look, I'm not talking about it. So that's the other thing is there's a price to pay to go in front of the camera, especially in this day and age where people are still kind of giggling at UFOlogy, the UAP phenomenon. People are still giggling at it. So I have taken my lumps and it hasn't been, this hasn't been without, um, without a certain amount of sacrifice to be a public, to speak publicly about this. Absolutely, Tony, absolutely. Uh, which brings up many other questions. I've got so many questions tumbling out of my head right now. Um, how do you, how does your family, like your earth family cope with it? 
Okay, hang on. I'm going to pause that question. You know, the reason I put you on the show is because I've seen other people talk about the Secret Space program, and it's not really the conversation we normally have on the show. We go more into spiritual stuff, but you spoke about how you were in these dire circumstances as a slave, and then you kind of moved out of that consciousness of feeling victimized or feeling like abused, used and abused into a space of love, right? And and enjoying your experience and enjoying life and falling in love, like you said, like you moved out of that sort of victim mindset into an accepting, peaceful, loving mindset, you know, in, in the most incredible circumstances that most of us here on earth can't even imagine. Like can't, can't even imagine. It's like a sci-fi movie. It is. And like I said, for me personally, it was a, it was an achievement. So I didn't have memory of my life. So when I was when I was abducted, I was taken, put into the program, and then they did a procedure on me. And I woke up with no memory of who I was or where I came from. I had complete amnesia and I began the 20 years. So during that time, I was like as if I grew up as an orphan and had been abused many times. Um but that being said, most of the time was pretty pretty boring. Uh, you know, most of the time I sat around and didn't do much. So, but I'm saying I was I was mentally not the same person that I am. I was a separate. I have I was a person with a separate history, and then I was put back. And I did when they put me back, so I lo and behold got my memories back of where I came from. I was back to ten years old, and I had memories of you know where I came from in Michigan, my organic life, and I didn't have the memories of the twenty years. Not. They bled through. I had over time. They bled through, and I I began to remember things, but I didn't know they were memories at the time. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to go back to the to the original question, but in in a in a very certain sense, I was unaware of what happened until the big event, and then I thought to myself, you know, I can't take this to the grave with me. To go into the spiritual aspect of it, like like we were talking about, we were talking about this over, uh, you know, before we started filming for the show. And you mentioned that, you know, typically you talk about spirituality. The reality is that ufology and the extraterrestrial uh, realities is a spiritual subject. So what? Because what advances? What we've had is that, you know, a hundred years ago we had several military programs like. World War One was about money, and World War Two was about faster than light travel, interstellar flight. So that they began fighting over that, and when these governments, secret government agencies, got interstellar flight, and began to make pacts with more advanced species or groups of species out there that are that are aggressive and non-human, um, they advanced very quickly, very techno technologically, very quickly, and but they did not advance spiritually or morally. And so that's why slavery still exists up there. I did. I just gave an entire talk about it in Orlando a month ago uh, about the realities of slavery. And you know, as of right now on Earth, there's there are quite a bit of people living in slavery. There's about um, six out of a thousand people on Earth live in slavery that are that are full on slaves at this very moment. We think it's been gone. It's not gone. Um, but they're equally as mistaken to do so. It is not, and it's it's a practice that's. Um, we call it uh, self-destructive. So people that profit off slavery ultimately suffer uh, loss because of the slavery as well. So, um, but the reality is, is that 
more just because they had the technology that made them advanced didn't make them spiritually advanced and also shunned us from other extraterrestrial species because it turns out that as you get access to space over time then the only thing natural that's going to happen is spiritual advancement and there are many many you know uh, i hate throwing out big big number millions and billions i hate doing that but there are unimaginable number of species out there that live very long they're they're very mentally uh, advanced. They have they have psychic gifts. They have spiritual attunement. They are more in touch with the universe and the the way that the universe works. And the answer to that technology is spiritual. Um, the Sirius Colony Corporation was in fact quite aware that there is a certain level of advancement where technology quits working. There's a ceiling to to the quality of your gizmo, and the 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 and there were many species that were far more advanced than the gizmos because it becomes spiritual and mental at that point there are species that have no need for technology they can mentally change matter they can mentally take your pencil and turn it into a banana with their with their minds and they they speak to the universe and they get an answer and they're manipulate time they can do they can travel they can teleport all these things without technology so there is a ceiling to technology that allows us to be in the dark morally and spiritually that allows you you know there's ignorance is a bliss spiritually but um ufology and spirituality are really one and the same and after we get a post-disclosure world i say that that's one of the biggest changes we're going to get is because right now when you look at the masses yeah, I see you nod your head. You, I, I, I know that you know exactly what I'm talking about. Is that right now the masses have nothing to look forward to? They have nothing to aspire to because our our finest examples of life of a lifestyle is one of wealth and trappings of things of stuff. If we have contact, when we have contact, which is going to be, I believe, very soon, and we start to learn that there are other species out there that are highly spiritually and mentally advanced, and we start to learn how they live and the things that they do, we will aspire beyond acquiring things and we will aspire to advance our own inner, which a lot of people, let's face it, probably your audience is already fully aware of, but we will aspire to be better people and a better, you know, in a spiritual sense. And that's going to bring on the real revolution and the advancement of mankind. That's really going to, that's really going to uh, be our real advancement on top of the technology, you know, and free energy and being able to whip up food uh, at will out of matter. Uh, and things like that so uh, that's that's kind of the nature of, the, of what's been going on and the people that have been held us down we've been stunted our growth has been stunted um economically and materialistically and spiritually is because people are some people are taking advantage of it's like a shortcut they're using uh, uh they're using us it's like a parasitic a parasitic um symbiosis that the elites have right now with society, with the rest of mankind, is they're using us as a shortcut to advance themselves. But really, there's a ceiling that they can get to without us. So they have to um, they have to bring us along at some point because we are ultimately spiritually one organism. So wow. Okay. Boom. Sorry, I'm on a. Tony, you are on fire. Boom. <laughs> Boom I'm on fire. Yeah. <laughs> you're on fire. That that. Ooh, that is so cool. That you're so you're. Dead set on you're dead set on. Uh, I've seen I've seen a few of you. I haven't seen three hundred, but I've seen a couple of you. That yeah, you're on fire today. Um yeah, so I have access to my who who I call my mob, my spiritual team. And as I'm talking to people, I'm talking to them the whole time. And as I'm asking you the question, I'm asking them the question too. So the question I posed was, you know, why do you think you had me full memory? And um and they said, 
just for exactly what you just said, like to be a part of the awakening of humanity, you know, to be a part of the spiritual awakening, the, the, like we're awakening on so many levels, spiritually, um, evolutionary wise, technologically, but ultimately spiritually. Yeah. To be, to do exactly what you've done, to be on 300 shows and, and counting, yeah, to, to bring this information to light. So the question I originally posed was the family, the family. Oh, I was talking yes. about, you know, your family, your kids, wife and so on. But, you know, when you were 10 years old and you've kind of got these vague memories as the kid, as a 10-year-old kid, did you tell your parents about what you had? Did they just sort of wipe it off as the imagination of a 10-year-old? Like what was going on with that side of the family? Um, there was a lot of weirdness back then. And no, we all kind of carried on. Like it happened. My sister and my mom and dad lived at home when it happened. I was, we were in an old farmhouse out in the country when they came and took us. And I believe they took my dad. I'm, you know, mildly certain, uh, not, not hundred percent that they took my dad as well. And all of our relationships changed afterwards. I, my behavior changed. My life changed. And it was like I was mentally like deluded for the next 20 years. And when, you know, if you look at the parallel timeline, there were two of me. So you lose a lot of people. It's very hard to explain. It's very hard to even diagram for people that are, they hear it for the first, they go, wait a minute. Where were your, the first question that everybody says is you were taken for 20 years. Where were your parents during this? And what people don't realize is that I was taken for about 30 minutes. They took me for 20 years. Yes. And there were two of me for 20 years, essentially. In the same, I wasn't in another dimension or on another universe or something like that. It was me. I could have met myself in Seattle if if young Tony would have went to Seattle and walked on the beach on the same day that my taken self went there. I could have met myself. I was two separate people, and it was as if my mental acuity in my life followed suit. Like I was, I went from being the top of the class and being the top five percent of the school straight A student to being D's and E's and eventually dropping out. Like I had major breathtaking emotional problems and I had major problems for the next 20 years. And then all of a sudden one day, 20 years later, and this is another phenomenon that I found with working with other people, 20 years later, when the other me was basically put back in time or put to death and they returned to me, I woke up one day and was felt like a million dollars and my entire life changed and all the emotional stuff went away and I cleaned my room and I got my career back in order and I got on with my life. And I changed. And it was because I believe that the consciousness is something else. We are greater than we're greater than our own body where our consciousness is non-local. We may be more of a receptor than a transmitter as far as that goes. So the it's probably a lot of both. But at some point when I when they took me into the program and used me for this, and there's more than one way that people go. So I wasn't I'm not the um, absolute uh, method. But when they took me, it was as if the person that I was in the space program was mentally less and me in my organic life for the next 20 years was mentally less. And when it was over, I kind of reassimilated my back to my con the signal of my consciousness and kind of got on with life. And I went another 15 years. Um, yeah, another 12, 13 or 15 years before I got my memories back. Um but as far as my family goes, we all knew there was weirdness, but none of us really talked about it. I, and there were there were weird things that happened. There was a doctor's visit. I believe I was taken again a, a month later by humans that came. They did a they did a checkup. There were things. There were weird things that happened afterwards. Um, 
in my life and my relationship, like I basically lost my relationship with my dad after that. Um, we just, it was different. It was, we were just both different people. And he, he said it often back. I wish you're, he said, man, you're different. I want my son back. You know, you're a different person. And I would, I would say things like, uh, you know, try to correct him. He'd joke around with us and I'd say, you shouldn't joke. That's cruel. You know, like the, whereas before a, a week before, I would have laughed along with the joke in a childish way. You know what I mean? Like in a, in a way. So it changed. I was changed. I was, I was afraid, afraid nerve emotionally after the, after the abduction. So anyhow, the, the time travel aspect of it, you lose people, people don't understand, but I was taken on a Thursday night and I lived for 20 years and then had those memories erased and was put back in the original body. And I woke up Friday morning in complete bewilderness, bewilderment, of my, I, I woke up in my bed and I sat up and I looked at my toys in my room and I had the, I had the sensation of not being there for 20 years. And I went, this is my life. I'm back in my life. I was saying that I went down and I hugged my mom. Like I had never seen her before. And I, I had that sensation of going back to my family. And it was, it was strange because I had the memories. I went to school that day and I forgot where the bathroom was. I raised, I went to the, asked the teacher to go to the bathroom. And I said, where is the bathroom? It's not a big school. The bathroom was very close. And um, thank you. Uh, sorry, somebody's bringing me some tea. Um, but um, so that was the case. I went through that experience. And um, so that is something that well, I think a lot of people don't understand. That's a dynamic of the phenomenon that a lot of people don't understand. People are taken and they're put right back. And if you think about it like that, as a when you're taking labor out of um, a society, free labor, and you're putting them back, it's like, People say, well, why didn't they keep you? Why did they bother to put you back? And I say, well, you don't cut down the apple tree. You just keep picking apples as they come. So you don't cut the whole tree down. So, you know, they've been doing, they may have been doing this. Let's face it, Karen, these programs, these ETs and these programs may have been around the entire time. They may have been here the entire history of mankind. And they may have the boogeyman, the devil, the devil doesn't take your life. He takes your soul and he puts you back. You get all of the lore when you look back and start connecting it, connecting the dots, the sky is falling. Um, all of the lore is the boogeyman and all that is um, uh, falls in the line with this a parasitic environment, a parasitic extraterrestrial threat that's taking us and borrowing our consciousness to to power slave labor, to power their own labor in another star system. And then they put us back like nothing ever happened. It's 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 thievery, you know, like a, a, a an amateur thief will take your wallet. A professional thief will take a dollar out of your wallet and put the wallet back. You know what I mean? And they've been taking a dollar out of our wallet the entire time. Wow. You know, they have explored these concepts in um, in Hollywood movies. When you said, I went down and hugged my mother, I had this flash of this movie about a little boy who was suddenly an adult and then he goes back into his boy, little boy body, like he lives not 20 years, like in the movie, he lives, I don't know, a few months, a couple of years or a few years as a, as a man. And then he's returned back into his um, boy body and he goes and he hugs his mom. And just, just like you said, and also I watched something recently, a time at the time traveler, the time traveler's wife. That's right. They've made a series out of that movie and this, and you said I could meet myself. He keeps meeting himself in different 
at different ages and different like they're playing with time it's fantastic actually watching you know how Hollywood is playing with these concepts and how he meets himself and yeah and yeah the way that our consciousness can split you know as you're talking about feeling less than because our soul is obviously living out many lives or um, aspects of our soul or aspects of our higher self in, in, in all time frames. So we're living all our past lives and future lives and galactic lives. It's all happening from a spiritual perspective all at once. But this seems like something different because we have no memory of that, most of us, unless we do. Some people do, like past lives and things like that. But this seems like something different. It's like it's like the aspect of the soul that's supposed to live one life is then split again into two lives. How many times do you think it can be split, the consciousness? How many, what do you Randy think? Randy Kramer said the technology could do up to 10,000 clones. And they would all be, they would all need uh, mechanical assistance to get around. Like they could power the clone, but they would split one consciousness up to 10,000 clones. But if you think about it like a beam of light, think about a, think about a light and with a separate light going to each life, like you said, our our, our existences. We have all these going on at the same time, wow. but there's only one source of light. And what they're doing is taking the beam of light that comes to one existence and putting a prism on it and splitting it into two and it's dimmer than it should have been. Yeah, and it, it works more. I always taught, I, I've always described it as a five gallon bucket of water and they take two gallons out and then it, that powers the clone. And when the clone dies, when they put it back at the 20 year mark, they put the gallon, the two gallons back. And that's kind of what it felt like that you know in from living it um but yeah uh, i uh, i think it's a i think it's more of a parasitic thing on a natural phenomenon and the reason being they don't do it they can't they don't just enslave everybody because people wouldn't incarnate here if you, you wouldn't incarnate into a lifetime of slavery you just wouldn't do it so you would incarnate into a great life here and then they just sneak in like i said they sneak in and they take that one dollar out of your wallet well, that's what I, it is it's a parasitic I, thing i don't know if you wouldn't look i don't know if you wouldn't incarnate here because i i posed that question to the mob a, a while back in this conversation and from a spiritual perspective we understand that no matter what we live in our in our in our physical lives on any planet anywhere um sorry um we can never be harmed or hurt as our essence we it's just an experience like yeah we can be harmed or hurt during the experience like we can experience pain and suffering but when we eventually leave that that experience and return to source return to spirit we're not harmed or hurt we've just grown like we've evolved because of the experience so i guess that from a spiritual perspective a soul is allocating to go through these experience i'm going to incarnate on earth and then my consciousness is going to be split and this you know you're there's a soul contract there, like an agreement that this would happen. Because when I, even before we talked today, when I thought about you and what you're doing, you know, they said that your agreement was to be a part of the disclosure, you know, from that spiritual perspective. Yeah. Anyway, what do you want to say to that? Well, yeah, I think you're right. And what I meant, I meant like a full on totalitarian you know, miserable existence from the, from birth, to, from cradle to the grave. At a certain point, the souls, your soul contract doesn't, you would go, I, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that. Let's go somewhere else. Do you, you know, like you're not forced to necessarily be here. And, but because of our free life that we have, there's a, there's a great deal of uh, 
lessons and life that can be learned in our organic life. Our organic, the organic timeline is one that has great opportunity and great pleasure and great lots of love and benefits and great lessons to live, you know, hard lessons to learn as well. So you incarnate and then they you these technologies are based on, you know, when we like I said, when we, these advanced ETs, like if you roll the clock forward on mankind for 10,000 years, our technology is going to be looking at soul as like the things that we talk about are good, you know, that are that are split devoid of science are actually going to be the science. When we talk about spirituality and so, the tracing back to source, like they're actually unwinding the science behind that. And this is an exploit. This is actually a life extension technology. It's not a exploitation. I say, I keep saying the term parasitic. I'm, that was just the program I was in. I will say this, that I remember that when I was up there, they explained it to me like this, that when a species achieves interstellar flight, that it, the same, it's the same thing happens every time. Basically, the species creates a spaceship that they can escape and go far out into space. Um, you know, once they get to, once they get that level, and then they inevitably have contact with a group. So, in order to travel through space freely, it's it's like a it's a lot like a forest. And so they go through. So it's better to have a sponsor of a group, so you can say, "Look, I'm with them." And if you guys exploit me or take my ship, then they're going to come looking for me. So I'm part of a group. So a lot of, you know, we hear talk of the Galactic Federation of Worlds, the Orion group, the Galactic Confederation of Planets. There's all these groups. And the reason for that is just so it makes sense to explore space to head to stick together. Um, but when a species leaves their planet for the first time and meets a, one of these groups, the, the very first question is, can you give us some technology? You guys are so advanced. Is there anything you can give us? And so I was I was told while I was up there that the first thing that they always give is the 20 and back technology, the life extension technology. And when I look at it now, when you, when I really think about it, and this is just me kind of uh, noodling it, you know, I'm brainstorming this. It's actually a perfect test because they look, they watch them, they go back and they teach them how to do it. They install their personnel to help them do it. And then they watch what they do with it and see if they abuse the people that they give the extension to, like this has been happening, or if they use it for noble purposes, and that lets them know exactly what the race is at. It's like a benchmark. It's a technology for them, so they have a one-up. It's a trade. That's a valuable trade. But in number, number two, for that species, it's a benchmark of their own morality and their, their real spiritual development of what they do with it. And I think we failed it with flying colors in uh, when, we got, when we got the technology back in the 40s, probably, 40s or 50s. I think that mankind failed it because we were we aligned uh, many many groups of uh, organizations on the earth aligned with the Orion group that has been here all along probably in, a, in like I said in a peri parasitic symbiosis with us and uh, we failed so, it with flying so colors. Does that, mm. Yeah. Do you so think, we're getting there? Mm -hmm. Do you think that it has been used successfully for a positive? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The real thing that's not a mystery that everybody knows when you look at how you, when you look at the plundering, when you look at corporate plundering or, you know, right. like how, like, all right, I'm going to try to choose my words here. So I've just, you just have to give me, I got to, because I'm powering up here. I thought we were going to talk about Hollywood. That's a whole other, um, but the reality is the logical conclusion is 
that you have, we all have to work together, that you can plunder mankind for so long before you're plundering yourself. When you look, how how much smaller can the package of candy get before there is no package of candy available from the corporate? You get what I mean? Like the corporation slowly makes the candy bar smaller so that they can save the money and charge you the same money to, to fight inflation and get a higher profit. They're getting, they're squeezing more profit. But at a certain point, the candy bar is worthless. It's not even a candy bar anymore. They're going to squeeze it so, they're going to do that so much that they, they're basically stealing from mankind from the original product that was the original contract, you know, what they offered. And it keeps getting smaller and smaller. The cars keep breaking down and rusting out faster and faster. And so at a certain point, it's not a car anymore. It's not even, you know, at a certain point, it loses that ability. And the the people that are in charge that have been plundering are going to reach that threshold. If not now, in the tomorrow, you know, the, next week, next year, next century. But there's going to be a certain point where you have to quit plundering. You have to start educating people and you have to let the truth out. So that because it, we, we actually need all of us on the same wavelength, on the same frequency for us to advance. And they and they're they're going to get passed by by neighboring species that will help out all the people. So as a matter of, so it's it's a logical decision to enslave and to plunder and to be the the banks and charge interest and do all this, you know what I mean? Like it's a logical thing, but at a certain point it's going to be logical to stop it, the madness and actually start educating everybody. And I think we're getting to that. I think it's a tipping point that we are in. We really we really run a very fantastic risk of enlightening ourselves very soon. Hallelujah to that. You know, you talk about the Orion group oh, 20 odd years ago, probably 25 years ago. Anyway, 20 odd years ago, I did a course, one of the first energy healing courses that I did because uh, I had all this psychic phenomena happening to me and I had to sort of sort it all out. Somebody said, you want to do a DNA course? And I'm like, what? And then I'm like, yep, I'm coming. And the teacher said, you know, from our soul's perspective, we all got together on Orion and decided to come together as a group and come to earth and help educate human consciousness. And to the young sort of 30 something year old me that was listening to this, it was totally fantastical, but some truth hit me in that statement, you know, just like, and you talk about the Orion group. I don't even know what the Orion group is, but um, what is the Orion group? Primarily, probably by by an artificial intelligence, but a lot of people throw a blanket and say the reptilians that the reptilians are bad, they're malevolent, and they eat us and they treat us bad and they're exploiting us. And the answer to that is yes, but that doesn't mean actually a a, a reptilian life form, reptilian intelligent life form is actually quite common through the cosmos. The universe is a very big place, and the the and by comparison, the Orion group is very small. It's a, you know, probably a few thousand, thousands of different species that work together. They sponsor each other so that when they, you know, they have a huge military presence and a, you know, a great deal of technology so that they don't get overthrown and they expand. And it's, it works the same way that, you know, treatises work on with politically uh, things work on, on the earth. But um, there is a certain level of advancement that just doesn't work on you know, there's there's only so far you can go by exploiting and 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 I said this uh, recently at a talk is that the but through natural progression, if um, if our animals that we use, so we we are a certain level of technology and a certain level of consciousness, 
And we our existence we owe to the exploitation of the next level under us, which is the animal kingdom. So we we owe our existence to them. And those animals, that level of consciousness owes its existence to the next level of consciousness underneath it, bugs and plants and things. So um, it's a natural progression, the next consciousness over us, but they evolve. There's, you know, as time goes on, we gather um, awareness and grow. And so if our if our cows and chickens began to read and write and speak to us, that I, I would venture to say that they would lose their appeal to most of the market and we would look for other things to eat. If, you know, if most people found out that a, you could have a conversation with a cow, nobody would want to have it on a farm. Really, it's that simple. And so we are the same thing. The, the Orion group are in, above us, uh, you know, in awareness and in consciousness, and they're exploiting us. And so we are going to soon evolve to very close to their level, and we're going to lose the appeal. And like I said, and so it's over time, it's a, it's a matter of logic. So it's, it's about, they hold, they can only stunt our growth for so long, and it's going to happen re regardless of anything. And, and it's the same with, the plants, if they start getting up and moving around, they can avoid the ant being eaten by the cow. Then the cow has to find something else to do. So I, I'm trying, I'm getting really out far out on a limb on this metaphor, but I think you guys get what I mean by that. And I think that's yeah. the reality. I really do think that's the reality. I do. And it's dovetailing with the law of one uh, that, you know, the law of one channelings. You've heard about the law of one channelings that say yes. that. Well, I'm um, a big fan. Yeah, that say that there is two paths, service to self, service to others. And at one point, the service to self stops and you can't evolve past that. You can evolve m much further than where we are on a collective consciousness here on earth, but at some point it stops and then you can't go further. So you have to revert to the service to other kind of evolutionary path. Yeah, you're a big fan. Me too. Yeah. So that's, yeah, you're talking about that. Wow, this is fascinating, Tony. This is you talked about things I haven't even thought about. So let's let's talk reptilians. So one of the questions I haven't even looked at the questions I was going to ask you, but one of them was, you know, I'm fascinated about these ETs. Who are they? You said reptilians. So when you were picked up, you were picked up by a human, a gray, and a reptilian, right? When you were ten, is that what you said? Uh, when I so they were in my room. It was one gray and three reptilians, or three four. Rept you know, what I was they... I was a little bit in shock at the time, so it's hard to keep count. But what did they, they look like? And... What did they look like? What height were they? What did they look more humanoid, more lizard-like? Like, what do they look like? Um, so there, it went on. The incident went on for a, quite a long time. I believe that they there was a craft that was buzzing the house, and you could feel the uh, like like uh, static electricity. And we had the old style phone, the phone would ring when it would come over, there was a light that you'd see outside like a spotlight shining down. And you could feel static, like electrical uh, crackling. And the phone would ring the old style ring, it would ring and ring and ring. And usually my mom would get up in the middle of the night and get because my brothers were older and had moved out. So, you know, so if they got in trouble, or we got stranded, they would call and my mom would always she had a policy of always answering the phone. Um, but the phone just kept ringing and it kept ringing and you could see these lights outside and we, I couldn't move. And then I'd go back to sleep. It would quit ringing and it'd be silent again. And then all of a sudden I opened my eyes and there was a great standing over me, smiling with a smile. And I thought my dad was a prank. My dad always did pranks. And I reached up, I said, dad, take off the mask. You're not funny. And when I touched it, it was cold and wet. 
you could feel it was you know like there was a there was a moisture to it and i went ah and it stuck me with something and i couldn't move i could move my eyes and kind of articulate my head but i was basically paralyzed and couldn't scream and at the foot of my bed i saw three at least three shorter reptilians what with clothes on they they had hoods they walked in alongside and they grabbed me out of bed and carried me to the end of the bed where there was a flash of light and then the next thing i know i i was i was unconscious from that and i woke up naked on a surgical table like a stainless steel table in a cavern it was not a spaceship it was a um you know it was like a, it was a round room with a round door open and there were other species of beings walking by it was a busy hallway so the orion group is not is headed off by advanced reptilians but it consists of like i said thousands of different worlds and different species there are insectoids there are humans there are many different species that are all part of the group they're sponsored by the same you know structure of uh, a hierarchy uh structure I'm, i know i'm saying that wrong but do you get what i mean like it's it's a group and they conduct business they conduct trade and and information trade throughout the cosmos the same as all the other groups do yeah like governing body a governing but like we like we have a even though we have seemingly all different governments there is an overweight arching governing body of i guess of earth which we call the un maybe i don't know maybe who knows um, a lot like that, yes. A lot like that. So you said that they had clothes on and they were shorter. So when, when you say shorter, like short, like a human short? Uh, like even like... shorter, like four feet maybe. Oh, wow. Um, four, four and a half feet tall. They were shorter and stocky. And so one of that species was with me the entire time. And he said, and I actually spent time with him and communicated. So it was telepathic communication. Telepathic. Mm -hmm. And um but I commun I, I sat and had hours with him, and he said he was there as security. He was the security, and he was from a planet that had heavier gravity, and so he was stronger. And if I was going to get up and run away or get out of line, that he had strength to subdue me. And that's he escorted me around on my uh, during the return, which I describe it all in my book. Yeah. During the return, he was my chaperone, basically, on the base. You know, during the medical procedures when they put me back. And uh, he seemed like he was the equivalent, lived longer than us, but was the equivalent of in his mid-20s, said he had a wife and children, and oh. said he went home to his planet every day, said it was a big red planet. And he said he went home to his planet at the end of the day, that it was just a job for him. He was there working a job. He was working on our moon. And um, that was his job, was security for abductions for the people from Earth. Wow. And so are they... Like reptilians, I'm trying to get wrap my head around what they look like. Are, are they humanoid with just reptile skins? So like they look sort of human shape, or, do, or are they like dinosaur looking with a tail? Like they don't have pretty a much. So there are many different. Like I said, so it's so we can't you can't throw a blanket and say yeah, reptilian. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so it's this, it makes it carries about as much weight as saying what's a human look like. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So we all look different. You and I look radical. We look alike, you and I, but radically different as well. So they are the same exact way. And one thing that Hollywood gets wrong, I think, about the grays and all of the ones that I saw up there is that they had individual faces. They had unique faces. So when you see in a movie or sci-fi uh, two ETs, they have the same face. And it wasn't like that. You could actually tell them differently from their face. They had Everybody had a unique face, kind of. But um, 
I thought they were beautiful, to be honest. I, uh, I there was one time on Series Colony when I was going to the trade window. I got a small. I got paid. I, uh, eventually, in my last like two and a half years there, I got paid the equivalent of probably twenty bucks a week, twenty to forty dollars a week, randomly, depending on. Uh, it was like a profit sharing thing, and um, that was my. So as a slave, I did get. I got twenty to forty dollars a week that I could buy tickets and move around the colony. I had a amount of freedom. And I had to go to a trade window to collect. And I stood in line next to a taller reptilian, you know, kind of far away, you know, 25, 30 feet away from me. And I thought it was very beautiful life form. Uh, it looked like it was very, uh, it struck you as something that was intelligent, not like an animal. You know, when you look at a, if you looked at an alligator, you still have the feeling that you're around a, uh, an animal. And it wasn't like that. So it looked, you know, you have the feeling that you're around something that's very, they're very smart. And the scales varied in size, but went down to very small sized scales. And it had a nice, they had a nice, like a glossy sheen. And was, it was, it was, I thought it was a beautiful life form. And so, um, but that being said, they're, they are very um, abrasive. They tended the ones that I came and caught. So there was another one, a pilot on the ship back. And that being, we were all fully aware that all the reptilians were very abrasive. And so they had, a, an, a, they were known for their abrasive temperament when dealing with humans on series colony. So we were all fully aware of that. And uh, so we did, as a result, we didn't really interact with them very often. We didn't, there weren't a lot of reptilians running around. I have got so many questions and I'm trying not to make this go forever. Um <laughs> Because I've got so many questions, even more. The more you keep talking, the more questions I have. What other life forms did you meet besides greys and reptilians? Like, yeah, okay. I met I met versions of humanoids. So, I guess the deal is that planets. Um, if you killed off all the humans, so and, and this is a theory of mine, and kind of the impression that I got from what from how I was briefed. So the series colony corporation was only when I got started to get actually trained and uh, briefed on missions later on. Like when I, when I was promoted to cargo engineer is when I was brought into the fold of the know of what we were doing. The rest of the time I was just working slave labor and I was kept in a need to know basis and pretty much in the dark about everything. So for a long time, for like eight years uh, in space was, I didn't really have privy. I didn't even know where we were, where we were going. I worked in the bottom of the ship, no window. But when I got promoted, I was brought into the fold. And um, so pretty much what every planet, if you killed off all the humans, it would be a very short time till a humanoid species popped up. So that it, evolution works not so much biologically as it does radio, 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 whatever that word is. So the energy, the human residence power of the planet would, would the consciousness of the planet would, would realize that there is no uh, being on the planet that could that could capitalize on the leftover energy of, say, for instance, the wood in the forest that needs to be burnt. So the need for fire, so in light, that's consciousness works like that, is that everywhere that there's energy left over, consciousness will evolve something that will exploit that energy so the energy doesn't get wasted. So because of the forest and all the wood in the forest, it needs a being that's smart enough to make fires. And it, it makes a humanoid consciousness that's why the that's the purpose of the evolution and it doesn't happen biologically it happens on a conscious on a subconscious level you know on a on a on a subconscious level around the planets and so whatever whatever being is closest 
to that kind of development is the one that pops up. And so on other planets, because of other, other factors, a fish could be it, or a rat, or a chimpanzee, or a tiger, you know, whatever, whatever out of the biome is closest to can fulfill that need to exploit the energy that's left around the giga uh, energies that are left around the not being exploited, it will evolve and happen. And so that was the case. So throughout the cosmos, I met a short, we went to a planet and I met a short, looked like a person's face, but it looked like the body, like it had evolved from an, from a rat, from an, from a rodent, from a mouse or a rat. And it was probably 80 or 90 pounds and four and a half, five feet tall, skinny. And, and they had, and they were a less advanced. They were like us. They had the, they had the technological level of us probably back in the fifties and sixties. That's what the love we were, we were sneaking in and, and um, they were making contact while we were trying to take advantage of them. Um, but I met uh, I met a being that looked like it was a fish. I met a being that looked like it was a cat. I met a blue, taller being that was very advanced, that was dark blue. And we, in fact, we we were aware that uh, a lot of the blue um, spe- humanoid species tended to live longer and be much healthier and and athletic and et cetera of, above us. That blue that the blue physiology was actually far more efficient than our physiology, and that they were very uh, xenophobic. They did not want to lose that genetic uh, um, advantage. So that the blue species, you would never meet a blue girl, for instance, in a trading situation. We we offloaded cargo, and there were there were a a blue a light blue civilization that lived inside the earth that had a colony inside the earth, and we did offload cargo there. And we did deal with other out in our solar system. There are colonies in the solar system of people that were. So we joked about it all the time, said, uh, you know, when I get off work today, I'm going to go see my blue girlfriend. I forget the name of them. I really have a hard time with the names of the. Uh, that's why I love Elena Danan's information that she has the names of the species, the the over to overcome the memory blanks that part of the part that they blanked of the names worked. I never really overcame that. So it's hard for me to, to glean even names of streets, ships, even where I was, it's hard for me to remember the names. I think there's a reason for that. Because uh, as I get older, and I don't think it's an aging thing, I find names really hard to grasp onto too. Because I think that throughout the cosmos, as humans, we label and identify through naming. But I think throughout the cosmos, we identify through energy stamps, like energy um signatures like an energy signature so um when you meet someone you're meeting their energy signature and you're feeling that um and there's like a lot of information in that i don't know what what do you think about this rather than somebody's name because somebody's name doesn't actually tell you anything like tony how many tonys do we know it doesn't tell me anything about you it's it's not specific you're right Mm -hmm. um well there's for that but i think that the process like i remember some of the process of when they were blank, when they were erasing, I was combative. I did not want to forget. So during the process that I was going back, they only had so much time. There was a law that they had me had to have me back at a certain time. They they have their own set of laws, and one of them is to be back in twenty years. And because it may expose the program, they start having people with mental problems. But I, I was very combative during the process, and it's not just one. They don't just give you a pill and then delete your memory. They actually it's um, through. Like an like an industrial grade hypnosis that they put you through different stations, and this one this one programs you that if you start to remember that you'll become hungry or sleepy, 
And then the next one, they go, well, this is, you're going to remember, you're not going to remember shapes. And this one, if you see the shape of a ship, you're going to remember something else instead. So you went to different stations and one of them was, they, and they were actually putting drugs, you know, giving you injections to the part of the brain and then putting you through that form of hypnosis. And the one with the names is a certain region of the brain. So I know it was successful. The rest of them, I kept laughing. I said, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to forget. This isn't going to make me forget anything. You guys got to do better than this. And so it did. And um, so there were things that I remembered. And, and in the very beginning, the next day, I didn't remember anything. So it was over time that I got my memories back that it, that it, that I healed from the process, basically. The other thing is that I really, I really am... I really am the bane of some starseed information these days. So there's a there's a lot of people that are they find their starseed family, their star family. Mm -hmm. And everybody is a damn Pleiadian. Everybody's from Aldebaran or Antares or Pleiades, right? Everybody incarnates from a planets that from stars that we happen to know about mm -hmm. and not the other hundred trillion stars that are out there so everybody wants to incarnate in their play from the pleiades and that's just not right we incarnate from all over the place and when we were doing missions we were flying around none we never called any of the stars by name we called it by a number there was we went to the, this number of you know that's where we went that day and we went back again we didn't care about the name of stars because there's so many there's not you're not going to remember the names it's a number system there are trillions and trillions of stars and destinations. And that means there are trillions of points of places that people, that your soul can incarnate from. It's not just from the Pleiades or from Betelgeuse or some stars that we know. You know what I mean? Like it's absurd to me to think that people on earth are all incarnating from the neighborhood of earth. It just doesn't make sense. So I, I say that and I, um, you know, I ruffle feathers. I know I do when I say that, but the, let's, let's face it. The reality is, is that space is much bigger than the communities giving it giving it respect the uh, the community of ufology and spirituality and the whole starseed thing need to give space the respect that it deserves is that it's endless and that it's far bigger than we can even grasp mentally so sorry sorry i'm on a little rant there but i just it drives me crazy that everybody's from the pleiades <laughs> i love in your rants i love in your i'm learning so much <laughs> i'm learning so much uh where was I going to go with this? As I said, I've got so many questions. Um, I keep losing my train of thought because there's the next question. And next, you describing the different uh, beings, what they look like and how they've evolved, that's fascinating to me. Is that all in your book? Because I'm oh, sorry, I haven't read it. Not that. really, actually. Though, so the, the series Colony Cavalier is basically the, the story of going to school, ticking off a kid that has said his father was an Illuminati. And then a couple of days after meeting his father at the science fair being taken. And then the 20 years that I remember, and then being put back. So that's the book. And it, it was very difficult. So I would warn everybody. Now the book is not for the faint of heart. I was tortured and I was sexually abused and I was beaten and I was a piece of equipment. And that is all described um, graphically in the book. I was put through trauma-based mind control and I was, I was physically tortured. And that is all described in the book is that because it's also evidence. Um, I put everything in the book that I could that would be evidence because there's I obviously what I'm saying is a tall tale. And you, the first thing a lot of people say is, well, prove it. And there's actually a ton of evidence because the places on Earth I remembered 
I went, I went on record with a, a researcher and then I went to those places. And so it's also provable that I never went to those places in my life. So around Seattle, for instance, Inyo Kern, a guy, a, a friend of mine that's been on the History Channel, Brad Olson, wrote the Beyond Esoteric series. He went to Inyo Kern and had me on a FaceTime call and I was actually describing it as he was walking up. So there's no way I could have done that. And I can also prove that I've never been there and never had really uh, that kind of intimate knowledge. And that happened again in Seattle and um, again in Peru. And I haven't been to Peru yet, but there are many things that have turned out around the time frame because I was there in 83 in Porto, Tawantinsuya, Peru. And there are things that were built there that I said I remember seeing built and then people corroborated that had said they they grew up there. Um, But there's a great deal of evidence behind my story. And I tried to get that into the book. But what's real is that the book was very difficult for me to write. And when I wrote about those things that were terrible, I would mope around. I would write a paragraph and I would fall into depression for weeks afterwards. And it took me six years to get past that. And so much more that three or four other people helped me out. And some very brilliant people helped me get the, because so many people saw my story and wanted the book form of it. Um, I'm working on the second book, which is much easier. But I got all that stuff out. And then there was a lot of things that are not in the first book because towards the end, I thought, man, if I don't finish it now, I'm never going to. I could still be working on it. I could still be adding things to the book and proofreading it and and padding it out. But there had to come a time where I said, look, I got to get this out because what was happening was uh, a lot of my YouTube videos came up missing. And I would go back. I had I had a website with all the links that I would tell people, like, you know, I would just give people the link and it had the collection of all my interviews. And they were coming back saying, your interview's not there anymore. And I went, oh, no. I thought all these hundreds of hours that I put in the interviews, and they could all just be deleted. And I went, wow, my, my whole story could just be fall to the wayside. All the work I've done could go away. And so I really I really kind of put a little fire under the book. Because now the book's out, so the story's out. So you can't go to everybody's desk and 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 grab their copy of the book away from them. So there's a Kindle version, but there's a physical copy of the book you can't delete as easily. So I just went and got it done. We barnstormed it and I got the book done. There's a lot of things. So I, the second book is kind of a filler to pad out a lot of the big questions of the, and then ends with a spiritual, like a big reveal on what happened. So I am still in the process of finding out really who I am and what I'm doing here and what happened to me, kind of unpack it. I'm still physically in the problem, 50 years old, and it happened when I was 10 and I'm still figuring out things. And so I'm adding that that's the, the second book is less provable, which is why I don't talk. I never really talked about it, that stuff in interviews because I just couldn't present proof to people that were skeptical. The first book I can, I have proof. So people that are skeptical. I can say, well, Hey, you got to explain Seattle away. You can go ahead and pick me apart. All you want bugs on Mars. You can pick that apart all you want, but you have to, you have to explain Seattle and how I knew my way around it. And you have to explain how I knew my way around the series colony. And NASA confirmed it later in 2020, a uh, certain chemical makeup of the series, the series planetoid. So there were things I called out that NASA confirmed, which was also proof. So that's why that's the first story, because obviously I'm up against skepticism and it's normal. It would be weird if people weren't skeptical. So the second book, I kind of have the freedom to just pad out and talk more about the spiritual journey and a lot of the things that happened during that time that I think led to, you know, and then... There are other people coming forward now. There's a friend of mine called named John Charles Moyen. And he wrote, uh, he's got a capsules on uh, like a documentary on YouTube. And then he released a movie 
on Vimeo about his experience. He's very fantastic, but we have a great deal of overlap in our testimonies that seems to suggest that I it wasn't just luck or bad luck that got me abducted and put me here in front of the camera with you today, that there was a purpose to it. And John Charles is a big part of that. And, you know, I met other people, Chris O'Connor and, and Elena Danan, who I'm very supportive of. And, um, you know, a guy named uh, Johan Fritz or Will Nutter, he has a great deal of overlap with my testimony. Randy Kramer mm -hmm. uh, has confirmed some things about me in the beginning. It was me and Randy Kramer. We were talking, we'd email back and forth as it came. And so there's overlapping testimony that is also uh, applicable as test as evidence to the, to our testimony so there are also a lot of people that are trojan horses that are absolutely fake that have come forward okay. so so it's true there's they're trying as ufology they can't get rid of the witness because they you know they don't want to murder the witness so what they do is they just surround them with a thousand bunk witnesses Oh, they bury it. They bury it. Your one picture that you have of an, your authentic picture that you have of a UFO and you upload it to the internet and said, see, now you guys can't, it doesn't matter if you get me because it's already out there. And they go, okay, well, guess what? There's 50,000 fake pictures around your picture. So good, good luck. No one's going to find it. When they do, they're not going to recognize it. And that's what we're seeing happen to this, to this genre, the, the SSP testimonies that have come forward. They're being surrounded by fake testimonies. So, the, so not, that somebody that's new to the subject just goes, ah, forget it. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. You're it's not crazy. talking about the person we talked about before I turned the camera on, are you? I don't think so. No, I don't <laughs> believe so. I'm not going to name names. No, no, and no, no, no. I would just say, I would just say to the people that follow this, uh, ask for a little bit of proof. That's all. Just and time will tell. Time is the greatest lie detector. Um, time has time has shaken out a few infiltrators in the community, and time will tell. Yeah. But just ask for a wee bit of proof. That's all, because most people, most legitimate people, can. Well, the proof, the proof has got to be how you feel about it. You know, you've got to come back to your intuitive gut feeling. You, you know, what resonates with you, and why are you listening to this information? How is it impacting your life? How is it impacting your spiritual evolution? What does it mean to you as a human on a spiritual journey? I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of, it's not just about, oh, this is a great story. And it's like, how is it impacting uh, us as a, as a, as humanity, as a human family? You know, what, what does it mean? What does it mean to us, you know, as we evolve uh, out of separation thinking, out of service to self into service to others? Yeah. But um, yeah, Johan, I've, I've seen Johan. Uh, he's a bull guy, right? Is it Johan? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I got a good feeling about him too. I've I've watched quite a few testimonies on the Secret Space program. And it was you and Johan that I got this really good feeling, like a mastery. Like I got this mastery feeling. Like I could tune into, you know, what you would like the soul that is incarnating the human structure and what its agenda is. And uh, as I said to you, well, a lot of, of people it. get a good uh, intuitive hit when they see people, their testimony, but not everybody is, not everybody is adept with their intuition. So, you know, for those masses yeah, of people that are, that are less intuitive, that's what I say, you know, and like I said, time, time, time will tell. Time so will time tell. had, I always wondered when the other shoe was going to drop, you know, like <laughs> they can make you look pretty bad if they try. And people could cut up my interviews and make me look like an idiot. And I always wondered if that was going to happen. There was a channel devoted to hating me at one point. Really? And I've gotten some hate. You know, I've gotten, uh, you know, a lot of hate, hatred. The It seems like on YouTube in the early days, I would do an interview. And the first week, 
people would go, man, they were positive reviews. They wait a couple months and then they come and bury the positive reviews under negative reviews. And there are people that, you know what I mean? So that anybody browsing it would look at it and go and see all these insults and just skip it. And so it seems like that was a very real, that was a technique they were using to silence us in the beginning. It seems to have changed. And now they've kind of moved away from that and they're, and they're just propping up fake people now. Wow. Okay. I know we're getting on. There are a couple more questions I had. I, you know, I was interested, did you do any hypnosis to retrieve more in-depth memories or did, yeah. So no, I've no. never been hypnotized for, I've never done a hypnotic regression. So the bulk of people that don't, that only have a small amount of fragmented memories I I recommend not to get a hypno regression until they've really settled in. So I have a memory course that I that I package. I had so many people actually, um, you know, say what happened was I was in an interview and somebody asked me, "How'd you brush your teeth up there? Who cut your hair? What was the bathroom like? What was the shower like?" And, I, and at the time, early on, like you know, it was the first year, and I thought I should know this. I should have these memories. What? How did I brush my teeth? I knew the shower thing. Like it was like prison. Like when I woke, there was a buzzer that went off, and we went in, and they we you know other people did our laundry. We, our clothes were hanging on a hook with our number, and we went through the shower. But I was like, I should remember how to how I brush my teeth. What do I do here? And I started like I got rosemary. I read that rosemary helps your memory, so I was like dousing my shirt and walking around smelling like rosemary all the time. And I was doing memory ex- reading reading on how to get memories, you know, I was studying, I was like, man, I need to understand because there's so much other information. I know this happened. I know I'm not crazy. I should be able to remember more that I need. I should be able to get more memories. And I kind of stumbled onto a technique, like an exercise on how to do it. And I went, oh my God, they were disposable toothbrushes. They were, we had to tear the plastic and you used it once and threw it away. Oh, and I got the memories back. I went, oh, wow. And then you know, the bathroom was gross. And I remember that and there was a bath. I never used the bathroom on, on, in the barracks. So I used the one on the ship for during the day. And I, I, got, I began to get an exercise. So I packaged that exercise into a memory course. It's like 40 bucks. It's on a teachable. You had to, got to pay for teachable. It costs money. And so people do that and it works. And what I say is that that memory course is better before the regression. And then also a hypnotic regression is a lot like a tattoo to where you can get a jailhouse quality one that looks like stick figures, or you can get a photorealistic one by somebody that's very talented. So the level of talent of your regressionist is important and make sure that you get the best one possible. I would recommend to everybody and get a tattoo that's by the best artist possible that has a waiting list. You know what I mean? Like you don't want a cheap tattoo that's going to stay with you forever. And also your memories from the regression are going to stay with you forever. So you don't want to be front loaded. And a lot of bad regressionists will front load data and your subconscious will connect the dots. And now you have incorrect memories. And I've worked with, tried to undo, and you cannot undo that with people. Through my method, people come to me after a bad regression and I can't undo the damage. And so I always tell people, you know, you, you have a fragmented memory. Let's let's get let's get as much as we can out of that memory first and then do the regression. But as anybody talented will tell you, you're going to get a regression exactly when your higher self wants you to. And it's going to lead you into the direction that your your higher self doesn't care if your story's right or not. Your higher self does not care if you have accurate memories or if you connected the dots. Your higher self cares if it's going to lead you in the direction that it needs you to be. So that's the deal. You're going to get a regression exactly when your higher self tells you to and never before that. 
So I haven't done it yet. I've been invited to, I, I, um, on one hand, I have enough, I have enough memories. And on the second hand, I'm afraid of uncovering more trauma and reliving and kind of having, opening up an old wound. So that's why I've been offered by some of the best hypnoregressions uh, hypno in the country, in the United States, some of the best that, that are, have offered me free sessions and they have year, year long waits to get in. And I thought, oh, man, I'm so honored. I want to do that. That's such a great um, blessing for you to offer that. But at the same time, I'm like, my higher self isn't really, I'm not compelled to do it yet. So, but it, it is where it goes. It is where it, it is. It is the door at the end of the hallway for somebody going down the journey of trying to put together their memories of their fragmented memories. The, the last door is going to be a hypno regression. So I would just say, take your time and get the best one you can. There. There's another rant. Darling one, they're all fabulous rants. Honestly, I, I'm learning. I'm learning from you. Every time you open your mouth, I'm hearing something I haven't heard before. I'm like, oh, you know, hypnotherapists can front load you and all this. I'm like, oh, interesting. Oh, I haven't heard all that before. But uh, there's a couple more questions before I'm going to let you go because, you know, you've got to go and do your thing. It's nighttime over there for you. Um, waste. You said that you had disposable um disposable toothbrushes and you threw it away how do the ets deal with waste because this is something that perplexes me on earth like i just think about the supermarkets across the world and like every shelf is stacked with packaging and plastic and then we're dumping that all into landfill and i i've talked to my galactic mob about it and they said oh we totally know how to deal with waste like you humans haven't figured it out yet you know we're dumping it in landfill and we're incinerating it and we're doing this stuff that's still how do they deal with waste so they we did have they did have the ability for to to manipulate matter. They had machines that could manipulate matter on a very small level. So the waste could be completely re what it was was the waste that you threw away would get re um would get broken down and then remade into something new, but it had to be something simpler. So they could recycle pretty much all of the waste. And they would turn it into something like a base chemical and then use that to build something with. So um, they they really they really didn't have an issue with waste. It was not a problem at all. Um, the labor to move the waste from A to B was the problem and the real estate for it. So real estate was the, was storage was a problem on Ceres Colony. They were they were continually mining. They could not keep ahead of the need for housing. They were mining into, because it was underground, all underground. They were mining into cap, making giant caverns. And then instead of making storage there, the the local government had to make housing. And so they, they needed storage. So we we hauled cargo all the way out to the Kuiper Belt. And the ship went about uh, three and a half to four AU an hour was how fast it would fly from A to B. The ship could jump immediately. But it went about four AU an hour, and the Kuiper Belt was like thirty-eight AU away, and so it took it was a long trip, and to go back and forth. And we they they had hollowed out most of the real estate in our solar system is already claimed by ETs that have been here a very long time. So we were we were not allowed to go to Pluto. There was another ET species that has it. And they were hostile. They didn't let us there. We were not allowed to go to Venus. Saturn has human settlements, but they were not allies of the Ceres Colony Corp. And so a lot of the places, the storage was a big deal. So we flew it. We had to fly all the way out to the Kuiper Belt, and they had chunks of ice, giant chunks of ice that they hollowed out and put like a warehouse in 
um, there were ice. And so we would, we would put things there. But as far as waste is concerned, pretty much it all got recycled. And air wasn't a problem either. Um, they had giant air making machines that made it out of basically waste or inert. They put inert items into it and water and it would crack out air, oxygen. And they were the size of a house. They were the size of a two-story house, these big machines. And they had. They said that one of them could have done like an entire city and each city had like six of them. So they had, they were very redundant and very plentiful. So, but there were places that the hangar bay was like 19 kilometers long and sometimes would get stuck open at the other end of it to space. And we would be letting out atmosphere to space, but they had, they had such a great capacity to replace the air that the oxygen level would go down, but it would take days of the door being broken for that to happen. And it did happen. It did. It happened quite a bit. The door was ancient. They found the series colony found the series planetoid hollowed out and abandoned by some other species that had built the infrastructure. And then they, the Deutsch culture moved in and began to build and mine and build their own towns and adapt it to humans. Uh, the infrastructure back in the, probably the thirties or forties, it was very old and there was already rust and, and the infrastructure was already aged when I got there. And, uh, Gosh, I would have got there about uh, 89, 88, 89. No, uh, yes, yeah, 88. Right around 89, 90 was when I would have got there. And I was there till 2000. That was the timeline. Sorry. Wow. I, and did I have the ability to, I oh know I said I had two more questions because I've got a last question that I want to ask you about. I've heard you talk about it on another show, but did they have the ability to manipulate gravity? You said that the reptilian yes. that you were... Like, so they could, I mean, obviously, like, like when we look at our space program, they don't have the ability to manipulate gravity inside their, you know, the space station and spacecraft and they're floating around and all that sort of stuff. So when we look at Hollywood movies, you know, there's gravity inside like Star Trek and everything. There's gravity everywhere. And so, so that is, they have the ability to create gravity. I'm, I'm going, <laughs> um, so our our space program, from the von Braun era, the United States, the Gemini program got confiscated by the CIA, which turned into the NRO, the National Reconnaissance Office that Kennedy started. They killed Kennedy, and the CIA took the National Reconnaissance Office over, and and the as well as the Gemini program and aspects of the Apollo program, and they built circular space stations. There are three of them that I'm aware of that are full time manned with 50 men, and they have they're rotating and have gravity. So and then they classified the technology so that the NASA and the public can't do those. They they engineered the engineers are like that's not possible. They classified it so that nobody else could build another station. They've had the world under constant twenty four hour surveillance since the seventies, and a uh, satellite with a digital camera will never be superior to a man with a telephoto lens and a photo lab with millions of pixels. So it's a million a gigapixel cameras that could zoom in were back in the 70s already they had to have men on board to do this for full-time surveillance so the the notion that a, the international space station can't have gravity without artificial gravity by spinning is false it's a classified technology that being said the ability to manipulate gravity unlocks the ability to have free energy 
at least a small amount of free energy. So that is classified and they will not let it go. So once they let that cat out of the bag, all of the oil and the electricity and all that goes to the wayside. And that trillion dollar industry, that grip um, stranglehold on mankind that keeps us working, keeps us reporting back to work for a paycheck will fail once gravity manipulation is out because somebody could... You could make enough, and you can't make a petawatt of energy, but you can make a kilowatt of energy by just lowering the gravity on your little spinny thing. So that is the reason that that's the boat we're in right now. So that being said, there were gravity plating in all of the colonies. The moon had it, Mars had it, and I actually on Mars I stepped off of it into the lighter gravity of Mars, and it was a strange feeling. But when you stepped back on the base, you went back into one one G. So they called it grav mat or I called it gravity plating. We call it gravity plating. The series colony actually had ETs that had a jewelry or they'd wear a wristband or a necklace or something. And it would turn the gravity down or adjust it to their indigenous gravity where their world they were from as they walked through. So one could, one, uh, a being that was from a lighter gravity world could walk past by you closely on the street and your gravity would kind of waver because he was in wherever he went it was at his gravity level so they had beams that were focused and would would do that it they tended to be taller the taller skinnier beings are from small smaller planets uh you know lighter gravity they tend to have evolved they have longer bones that are weaker and the shorter stockier beings were from heavy gravity planets so in order for their physiology they that's like that reptile that i said they were stocky they were they were tall they were stocky they were from bigger planets so that was how that worked. But for the most part, the gravity plating was, I used to sit, there was a there was a town that I would get off the train and connect to go see my girlfriend. There, everything was connected by trains. I'd get off the train and I, I had a, a look down the street and I could see very far inside a cavern of a big city. And it used to just blow my mind to think that every bit of that flooring was powered, a great deal of power to create artificial gravity. I would just look at it and it was a wonder to me the the engineering behind it and because it went for miles we're talking about square miles or square kilometers i know you're in australia the square kilometers were many square kilometers of powered flooring and then the building with buildings with separate levels and each level had its own gravity on the ships because the levels were shorter and the gravity tended to go about 30 feet about 10 meters it was the gravity beam the ships would bend would turn the gravity beam like this so that the next level of it wouldn't get compounded gravity. And as a result, where the beams met, if somebody worked at a station right where the, one of the beams met, their hips would weigh more than the rest of them or have more tug and there would, they would get injuries. And so that was a common injury. If you, it just mattered on if your station was at near one of these cross and nobody knew they were, you know, they didn't mark it. They didn't know, but people would get injury, hip injuries or spinal injuries, depending on their height, because they, because that area of their body would be in heavier gravity than the rest of them. And so that was a common, that was a consequence of working on the ships. That was something that happened. Sorry, I'm on another rant. Wow. 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 God, there's so much to think about. Oh my God. There's so, so much to think about. Okay. Yeah. When so I got my memories back and I got all of this information in one blow, in one throw. In one day, all this came to me. I went from being a guy that was working for a taxi company to the guy that knew all this stuff in one day. And I thought to myself, there's no way I could keep quiet. What am I going to do with this? What do mm -hmm. I do with this? Mm -hmm. And that was the amount of that is the amount of 
of memory that came back to me and and then some and, and it was so. terrifying it was a terrifying experience sorry sorry to cut you off yeah, yeah. well terrifying but but fascinating i know terrifying for you sorry <laughs> sorry that you were terrified but fascinating for humanity like fascinating for for yeah the sleepy ones the human the human sleepers okay so there's one more question I heard you talk about this on other shows. A lot of people have come on the shows and we've we've talked about timelines and solar flashes and asteroids and the earth being destroyed. It's been a conversation I've been having on the shows for like, I don't know, it's been a conversation I've been having for 20 years with different people, you know, because a lot of people have seen probable timelines of earth where it gets destroyed, solar flares. And you said something that my guides had actually said to me and I'm like, yes, do you want to talk about that? Sure. I mean, what was it? What the solar flares, the asteroids hitting the Earth? So I don't think it's going to be a problem, really. So people talk about the solar, like there's going to be like a solar flash, and there's really nothing we can do about that. So other than you know, I'm still going to fly on a plane and drive my car. So there's 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 a macro thing where. You know, I, I'm sure you're also I'm sure you and a lot of the viewers are also very aware that if you're in a state of fear, you're unable to manifest your impose your will on your life. You're unable to impose your will if you're in a state of fear, point blank. So there's all these sources of fear. So even if an asteroid was going to fall on us tomorrow on my head tomorrow and kill me, there's nothing that matters for me. to. There's, there's nothing to be gained for me to worry about it today. Absolutely nothing. And the solar flash is the same way. These are fear sources that need to be ignored because you can't do it. Now it's different if you can do something about it. You should be very, you should, if you have a fear source that you have something that you can do something about you, by all means, you need to take action, but there's nothing like that. And the other thing is that the earth is a very valuable piece of real estate, not only to us, but to many ETs, the Orion group, the Galactic Federation of Worlds, and many others in advanced, and in fact, to the creator of the universe, the source. It is a very important piece of real estate. We live we live in a very expensive square footage, you know, whatever, whatever you want to say. We live in the we live in a very expensive zip code of the universe, of the cosmos. So that being said, they're not going to let an asteroid fly into it. Uh, it's that simple. They're not going to let something bad happen to it that's that they can that they can control. So if we are the problem, we'll be removed. Um, but if there's a natural problem that's going to stop the world from happening, I don't. I think they can easily manipulate. The weather isn't going to be an issue. The um, the global warming stuff is not going to be an issue. Asteroids can be diverted very easily, and uh, the other things. So the sun is a separate issue, and there are even beings that have a say in that. Uh, it turns out that the sun is also has its own consciousness, and there are beings that get along with it. So they can do something about it as well. So my point to my point that I that I think to myself when it comes up is I'm personally powerless against it. So I'm not going to give it any power. I'm not going to think about it. And I do that with my own life because what I found when I came, this is kind of on a tangent. This is Karen and for you guys, but but bear with me is that when I got my memories back, I wanted to talk to somebody else that had similar memories and there was nobody. And I wanted counseling, but there was no counselor available. So the the lap that I the the wheelhouse that I fell into was researchers. The only people that I could talk to that wanted to hear it were people that were researching. They were very skeptical, and uh, I needed it for kind of like a therapy thing. But when I talked to a researcher, and then they wanted to do their first interviews with me, and I would go public, 
I had a great deal of fear. Like, am I going to get killed for this? And there was a moment, there was literally, it came down to one moment where I thought, I got to stop being afraid of everything in my life. And I realized not only that, when I was reconciling that, I was realizing that I was always afraid, not only about talking about this, but in my life, I was always constantly afraid. I'm not going to make my car payment. We're not going to do this. There's some boogeyman that's going to come. I was living in fear, perpetual fear from external forces. And when I thought to myself, if I'm going to speak about this publicly, I have to do it without fear and then let whatever happens happen. If they're going to murder me, they're going to murder me. If they're going to, if something bad's going to happen, it's not on me. But I'm not going to, I just didn't have it in me to keep it to myself. I just couldn't, you know, it was, it was toxic to keep it in. And when I did that, when I said, look, I'm not going to be afraid anymore, my entire life changed for the better by far. And I've recommended it to everybody since. And I think that all of us need to rein in our inner fears because if it's fear can be healthy and you can drive you to take proper action. But if you cannot take action about what you're afraid of, it's a worthless fear. And so it, it happened. That's what happened to me back then. And when we talk about these other things, I think there's a lot of external, they want you to be afraid. I mean, you turn on the TV for five minutes and it's not love. It's not people falling in love and hooking. It's not it's not TNA like it used to be in the 80s that sold. It's not girls in spandex that would that we know would really sell the show. It's not that. It's gore. Nowadays, you can put on almost any show, any network, and you're only five minutes away from somebody meeting a gory demise. And because it creates fear. And it stops you from being a threat. It stops you from imposing your will on your own life and blossoming into something that they can't control. Boom. Oh, that was, I am on fire today. I Now I'll give it to you. So you, you are on fire today. You are on fire today. Absolutely. You know, it's the reason that I went on radio as a, as a, as a teacher and a channel and it's, you know, all that sort of stuff. I just realized that how manipulated we were through our media system, how we were just being bombarded with fear-based messages, even the like face cream, ads or the makeup ads or everything was telling you you're not enough you're not good enough even the story about the success the motivational speakers because you know let me show you how to be successful even that is you're not okay as you are even that is fear it's all striving yeah. to be something that you're not whereas spirituality says you know what you're an extension of source energy you're infinite intelligence you're you know right you're here unique. You, you're already yeah. successful sitting on the couch in your tracksuit pants you're already all you need to be yeah yeah just tap into that yeah so yes yeah, so the reason i i started the show was like to alleviate some of that fear message that message of you're not enough yeah so tony oh my god i knew this would be good i just didn't know how good it would be <laughs> thank you thank you thank you thank you so much it's been thanks for having me it's been um, so great it's been really great i want to plug my website so you can, contact me. you can contact me, you can get to my show. I have a Patreon show, so they can't delete it or, or beat it up. That's a $5 paywall I put, but I have that show on there. It's talks with Tony and there's a link to that on my website. There's a link to buy the book and the Kindle version on the website. And there's a link to the memory course and to free um, interviews that I've done at the very bottom and how to email me. And that's at TonyRodrigues.com. And uh, so there's that. So yeah, have a look. I'm working hard on my second book. It's due to be released in April and I'll start cranking on the third book and then I'll probably go to fiction or something. I don't know after that, but I got three books in me worth. I think that'll tell the story adequately and I'm on the road. I'm gonna, I've am i got uh, five or six speaking engagements all over the place booked for this year. 
hopefully um, very soon all the uh, mandates where you can't travel certain places get lifted and uh, start doing, I would love to come back to Australia. It's been, um, it's been four years, I think, since I did a live talk in, in Rye, Australia, and I, I really loved it there. So, um, but yeah, TonyRodrigues.com and um, good stuff. Thanks. Yeah, come back, come on down, come back down under. Yeah, you'll have to go. Uh, there's a friend of mine who puts on a conference in Queensland. What's he call it? I forget the name of it. You'll have to go. Yeah, um, obviously, COVID wiped him out for the while, but he'll get that back up and running. But yeah, there's a few. There's a few conferences, but there's not as many as what's happening in the states. But there's a few conferences happening. Uh, yeah, fantastic, wonderful. Thank you again for being on the show. Okay, thanks. Thanks, everybody. Oh wow, my mind is blown. Really, Whew. that was that was so cool. I have so many more questions. I could have, but he, you know, he had to go. He had two more Zoom meetings tonight before um, before he could go to bed and have some rest. As I say, after a full day's work, I don't see him working um, too much longer in his mainstream job. Although it does, you know, create it does create an income for him and his family. Um, but yeah, he's getting so busy. Wow, what did you think of that? What what questions would you have asked him? I'm going to get get him back into the inner sanctum next year and get him on cosmic conversations on the Galactic Alliance. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, he's very sought after. I was amazed actually that he um, agreed to come on this show because <laughs> people are reaching out to him all the time. But isn't that great that there are people that want to have this conversation and that they're not saying, "Oh, you're just making it up. It's crazy." But yeah, he was on fire today as i haven't watched all his shows i've only watched you know a handful couple three or four uh, on other people's channels and um he was on fire today that was so cool that was really so cool yeah because he goes into a lot of the you know the awful things that happen to him on other people's shows well i've seen him and i didn't really want to focus too much on that uh awful things happen awful things happen on this planet on other planets you know awful things happen and then as a soul on a spiritual evolution, we utilize the contrast, the awful things to evolve our soul. Like how do we find our connection to peace and love and joy inside circumstances which are not ideal? You know, that's the game we play on places like planet Earth and obviously on Sirius, on other planets, on other planets with, you know, other dense energies. But the way that he spoke about uh, the evolution, you know, you can only evolve so far um, with that sort of energy and then it has to stop and then spiritual evolution takes over. Yeah, that was really cool. That was very cool, very cool, very cool, very cool. And I think that a lot of people who talk about the Nasara Jasara, you know, the information, the anti-grav, the time travel information coming to earth so that's going to make this world a cushier place to live, um, you know, they want that because they want to feel better and, you know, the game on planet Earth is not to have live in a feathered nest so that we can feel good. It's to the spiritual evolution. The spiritual journey is finding the good feeling inside first, that connection, that reconnection, that uh, intimate relationship with you and your higher self or your soul or your source, the source of you. And from that place, no matter where you are in the cosmos or where you are in the world or what circumstances you live in, from that place of connection to the bliss within you, you have the power and the ability to create anything you want. Ultimately, we're all wanting to create that good feeling. Everything we want, we think that in the having of it, we'll feel good. 
and feeling good is available right here, right now with your connection into your inner being, your higher self, getting out of the worried, fearful mind and reconnecting into the bliss of your source. And then once you're reconnected to that in a powerful way, have that intimate relationship between you and you, what are you going to do with that energy? How are you going to contribute? What are you going to do inside these worlds that we live in, planet Earth, other worlds? What are you going to do with that energy? So that's the game on planet Earth, really. It's not about when med beds come, then I'll feel good. I was talking to a client the other day who's older. She's in her 80s. And I said, how, how old do you think you'll live to? And she said, um, well, when the med beds come, you know, then, and I don't have to age and I don't have to do this and I don't have to do that. Well, then I'll live for a long time. Uh, kind of reliant on circumstances to, to dictate how she feels and whether she wants to still be on earth or not. But I don't think that's how it works. I don't think your soul is waiting for med beds and technology like that to create a cushy environment. I think the soul is up for all that we bump up against in the environment we're in because it's challenging us to reconnect to the feeling of bliss inside these difficult circumstances, inside illness, inside bumping up against death. People die. People are dying all the time, right? Are we going to stop people dying so we can feel good? No, we're not. Uh, are we going to stop people getting sick so that we can feel good? No. Are we going to stop corruption in the world so that we can feel good? No, we're not. No, not for a while anyway. Can we feel good inside all of that? Yes, of course. Of course. And then from that place of reconnection, what can we do about the things we disagree with? Yeah, just emanate some love and remind others of who they are too. That's a really powerful, that's probably the most powerful thing you could do on earth is to reconnect to the source of who you are, emanate that vibrational stance and let others remember as well. Yeah, that unity consciousness, bliss consciousness. Oh, it's blown away by Tony. I can't wait to go back and edit this actually and listen to it all again. That was just, that was so cool. He said he was on was on a rant. I loved it. It was great. Really good. All right. So who's coming up this weekend? Bridget Renee Holiday is coming into the Inner Sanctum. She is a galactic goddess. She has amazing stories of um, being on board, you know, Palladian motherships and uh, what does she call the cosmic wisdom keepers? She's very connected to the cosmos, psychic medium channel. Amazing. I love Bridget. So she's going to be our guest this weekend in the Inner Sanctum. It is the 19th US 20th of November 2022. If you want to meet Bridget, she's been on the show. Check her out. Check the conversation out. I had on the show. She's been on quite a few shows. She's uh, part of the Galactic Alliance as well. And um She's been on Cosmic Conversations and different things with uh, the Wish Alliance, Galactic Com uh, Alliance, but she's wonderful. So we're going to quiz um, Bridget this weekend in the Inner Sanctum if you want to come and meet her. Join up on Zoom. I will be streaming some of it, but not all of it. I will be streaming her story on my channel, but then we're going to do the Q&A. It's just for the people on Zoom, the Zoom group. I'll only just stream a bit of it. So, yeah, I'd love to see you there. And next month in December, Jazz Maheen, who has also been on the show, who is a breatharian. She has enlightened herself to enough that she has lost all her hu human hunger, including the hunger for food. But you know, that hunger, like humans are so hungry, like I want this, I want that, I want this, if only this will be then, you know, if this will happen, then I'll feel good. You know, we're craving, 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 constant craving, <laughs> as the song said. But anyway, she was on an enlightenment ascension journey and she lost all her human hunger, which was the need to eat as well. So she's been 
coined breatharian but she calls it source fed or living on light and she's going to she's also been on the show i loved the conversation i had with jasmine so that's next month in the inner sanctum and at the moment i'm running the um, psychic development meet the guides course and i'll be doing that again at the beginning of the year if you're interested in developing your psychic ability talking to your guides reading for others navigating our you know energy field how to flow your energy in a way that feels good deliberate creation it's all of that and more love you all thanks again for listening if you haven't checked out the book awakened by death do so and i'll see you all next time bye for now